Cola Promotion presents the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast, starring El Gran Tommy Martinez and Mr. Adam Tate, executive producer Shay Big Bubba Martinez. And now, here's the greatest podcast, according to them, the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. <laughs> Excellent. I like it. <laughs> welcome and welcome to the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast, season two, episode number 36. I am El Gran Tommy Martinez in for my rock and roll brother and the humblest guy that I know on planet Earth, Mr. Adam Tate. And uh, yeah, Saturday morning, early in the morning. You got to excuse me. I was a little behind. I was looking at my WhatsApp, and the uh, general just had sent me a uh, a uh, Mimi. <laughs> it was a dog, and the dog was talking about something about uh, if it was his backyard, he would uh, bury his bone in it. <laughs> I had no idea what that was about. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, I've been out for a couple of weeks. So I'm off my game. I've been working like a crazy man. I traveled a little bit. Uh, yeah, I'm not used to this uh, this summer insanity. It's been crazy this summer, at least here in uh, Wichita, Kansas. I mean, we've had a bunch of cottonwood come down, so my eyes and my allergies have been going off left and right. It's been raining on and off, which is a good thing here because we don't get that much rain. And, uh, you know, we've been in and out uh, of the area, you know, because it's summertime, you have to go out a little bit, even though uh, COVID evidently is spiking or it has some kind of a new thing called Delta. And you still have this uh, whole war of opinions on how and when and who should get vaccinated and all. It's just all this craziness. But yeah, we've been gone for two weeks off the podcast. Hopefully uh, last week you were able to catch our special announcement or at least the announcement saying that uh, I was going to be gone for a couple of weeks. And also we finally have a presence on social media. Yes. Why? Thank you, Mr. Ric Flair. We went ahead and created a, uh, social media page it was a the first one was on instagram of course that's our favorite uh social media platform here on the tommy that i'm hard to name podcast and it is uh date coba promotions and that would be d-a-t-e-c-o-b-a underscore promotions and our other social media platform is on facebook and that one is date coba promotions and I'll go ahead and write that hopefully down on the, uh, if I can remember by the end of this podcast to, to write it on the description uh, where you could reach it. Just FYI, both these pages are just starting. I had a little time, so I went ahead and uh, did the best I can there. The one on Facebook is completely empty. I don't believe we put any content on it yet, uh, but the one on Instagram has already a little bit of content. And on these uh uh, social media platforms, both Instagram and uh, Facebook, you'll be able to find uh, things about this podcast, obviously. Anything that Dr. Coa Promotions uh, is working on, uh, such as Gosilo, ECB, hopefully. Uh, we'll see how we could all squeeze that in. 
to try to uh, make this a little bit more accessible to the public. And one of the strangest things about the Instagram one is that we immediately had a bunch of Instagram models uh, follow us. So we appreciate that since, you know, Instagram for the time being is our social media platform of choice here on the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts app, RSS Podcast, CastBox, or on any of your favorite DSPs. And one more thing uh, before uh, we jump into the podcast, our number one sponsor, Rodriguez Woodworks out of Elizabethtown, Kentucky, just sent us this incredibly beautiful wood piece that I really don't know what to do with it. And by that, I mean to either give it away as our end of season two prize in a form of a contest or to keep it for myself. <laughs> uh, but I won't do that because we only received one. So it'll probably be a prize for uh, the closing of season two, which will be sometime in October. I'll have to consult this with Adam if and when he gets back. By the way, I'm still hopeful he'll be back before the end of season two. So again, thanks. Thanks to Sammy Rodriguez of Rodriguez Woodworks. And remember, Rodriguez Woodworks, they have the wood that makes you feel good. <laughs> By the way, if you go on to our social media platforms, you'll be able to see a photograph of this wonderful work of art. Did you see? Did you see how I intertwined our social media platforms with our possibly new and future contest? Yes, that's that's how it's done. Shameless self-promotion. Oh, and we were just speaking about Adam. Guess what? Uh, this week I received a cryptic message through my WhatsApp. I'm not 100 percent sure, but it may be Adam. It may not be Adam. I really don't know if you read the title of this episode, that's who sent me this message and share it with you guys towards the end of the podcast. But uh, we'll see. Only if it doesn't endanger my friend. Cause I don't want him any kind of danger for, you know, being uh, in touch with me or anything like that. Today is July the 31st of 2021 and it is National Avocado Day. Uh, that is Jeff Healy and his uh, novelty song, Avocado Overkill. Very funked out. I love it. I love starting the podcast funky. Mm -hmm. National Avocado Day, right for the picking. Add this delicious superfruit to your menu on National Avocado Day. While guacamole is grand, don't settle for just the chips and dip on this food holiday. Since avocado is so versatile, clear the table for the entire meal. Everything from the appetizer to the dessert, avocado has them all covered. Avocados are more than a staple food in the American diet. They are proven to be the key ingredient in recipes for both inside the body and on the body. Yeah. I've heard about that. I think I've seen pictures of it too. People getting massages with avocado. Hmm, that always that's always kind of interesting to me to feel uh somebody lather uh some avocado all over you. Hmm. 
I wonder how that works. I may have to look into that. According to the Haas Avocado Board, as of 2015, avocado consumption in the U.S. doubled since 2005. So that's in 10 years. And it quadrupled since uh, the 2000s. In fact, a whopping 4.25 billion avocados are sold in the U.S. alone. Uh, that would be the Haas Avocado Board. Now, that doesn't sound too independent to me since Haas is a big producer of avocados, but let's just go with it. It's a superfood. There are many reasons to celebrate National Avocado Day. I just need one. It's really good. I love avocados. For one, avocados target insulin resistance with heart-healthy fats. Nice. That's good. Anything that promotes health, that's pretty good. They also fight Alzheimer's with its omega-3 fatty acids. That's important right there. You know, because you need your brain. Avocados help your brain. Another avocado superpower is preventing and repairing damage due to its source of vitamin C, E, and K. Now, vitamin E is important. Now I know why uh, people get massages with avocados because vitamin E helps your uh, skin. Yeah, it's very important, especially if you're outside, you know, working on your deck or on your uh, rock projects with that sun beating your ass in the summer. I'm going to have to tell a will do that. I will. I need an avocado massage. I need somebody to put all that squishy stuff all over me because the sun is killing me. It probably won't work, but, you know, I'll still give it a shot. Let's just get back to the avocado. One of the secret weapons in the avocado is the high oleic acid content. Not that kind of ole. Jeez. These soccer fans from Spain. This is a Mexican dish, you dummies. This is not from Spain. Woo. Anyway. Ugh. It's in the avocado, and it's a moisturizing fatty acid that helps keep skin soft and hydrated, but also supports the regeneration of damaged skin cells, reducing redness and irritation. See, that's why I need that massage. Eat more of this superfruit or cook with avocado oil if you have this type of skin issue. Yeah, absolutely. Now, something that's very interesting here is that the ancient Aztecs used to uh, use avocado to uh, beautify their skin. They used to, again, smear themselves up and then put on a mask. Later on in the 20th century, this was discovered, and that's how... This came about by using avocado as a type of a way to moisturize your skin. Uh, the month of August is just super hot, at least here in Kansas. Here's a little chance for you to maybe kick back and enjoy uh, avocado uh, smearing of some sort. Mm. As mentioned before, avocados have found their way into every meal of the day. Yeah, you know, I love avocado. I could put avocado in a sandwich. I could put avocado in a salad. I could put avocado almost anywhere. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, we grow avocados back at home in Puerto Rico. And if you stick, now now hear, hear me out. If you uh, take an avocado, you slice it up, not necessarily mash it, just in slices. You put some mayo on a piece of, let's say, French bread. 
you just put the avocado slices in there, and it is so good. It's, I would say that it's almost better than meat. It's called un sandwich de aguacate. Now, we also know that you could do probably the most popular dish uh, with uh, avocados, which is the guacamole. Now, here's the deal on the guacamole. I like the guacamole. I have my own personal recipe for guacamole because I really don't like chilies in my guacamole. Y no chile. No le pongan chile, eh? Porque... Si, no mames. La última vez, you guys put too much hot sauce. I couldn't even eat them. Yeah, it was fucking like, fire. Like, it was like, my ass was like a dragon and shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the whole deal. That's, you know, really why <laughs> it's hard sometimes to deal with the chili. And there's a difference here. Just so you all know, there's a big difference in ethnicities, especially between, you know, Caribbean, Latinos, and... Uh, the Mexicans, you know, they Mexicans love chili on almost anything. Puerto Ricans, we're more spicy versus hot. And our definition of spicy is uh, food with flavor and not necessarily that it burns the hell out of you going in and also going out. <laughs> so how do you observe National Avocado Day? It's very simple. Enjoy an avocado and try out a new recipe. Maybe not a... Not the uh, normal guacamole or the, let's say, the routine or standard guacamole. Use the hashtag National Avocado Day and post it to social media. By the way, today is also National Mutt Day. I think they're very cool dogs. Just because they're not breeded dogs and breeded, I'm throwing up the air quotes. You know, it still doesn't make them any less. I think they're very loyal. I mean, just like any other pet, as long as you uh, train them, teach them, cry kind of show them some obedience of some sort. It's like any other pet. It's how much time you put into it, how much love you put into it. So, yeah, National Mutt Day. I have a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Mike. He has a dog that uh, it's a mutt, and <laughs> he brought it from Puerto Rico. The story of, of Jack is he was adopted, came up to Mike's porch and worked his way into uh, Mike's household down there. And anyway, they... Uh, and then I'm bringing him back to uh, Wichita. Since uh, he was from Puerto Rico, he probably listening uh, while everybody's out during the day. I'm sure uh, Jack is listening to some some Bad Bunny. God knows. God knows. God knows if he's uh, he's smoking some creepy as well. I don't know. No, I'm just joking. Anyway, but uh, one day I'm over there at uh, Mike's house. I was going to take him out to his, him and his family out to the airport. And we're loading. Uh, <laughs> we were loading uh, his luggage and, and I turned my back. And all of a sudden, Jack jumped into my truck and drove away. <laughs> I said, hey, come back, Jack. <laughs> You're not in Puerto Rico anymore. You don't know where the, the chop shops are here. <laughs> oh, man, maybe he does. I'm just joking. Anyway. <laughs> I know uh, Mike's son went running inside and told Mike, hey, <laughs> Jack just carjacked <laughs> Tommy's truck. <laughs> no. Sorry, that's the uh, the best mud story that uh, I can come up with. Yeah, but it's also National Mud Day. So go ahead and celebrate National Mud Day as best as, as you can. Oh, today in history, brought to you by history.com and on this day.com history. And this is Duran Duran. A view for a kill. Meeting you with a view to 1975. Today in history, 
July the 31st, actually, in 1935. In 1935. That Jack story messed me up. Oh, labor leader Jimmy Hoffa was reported missing. Maybe Jack had something to do with it. I don't know. He wasn't around 1975. Calm, calm down, Jack. We're, we're bodies. I wouldn't, I wouldn't retro, man. All right. So going back to the, to the history story. On the morning of July the 31st of 1975, James Riddle Hoffa, one of the most influential American labor leaders of the 20th century, was officially reported missing after he failed to return home the previous evening. Though he is popularly believed to have been a victim of a mafia hit. In our thing, you get sent for, you go in alive, you come out dead, and it's your best friend that does it. Now, hold up a minute. I, it wasn't me who said that, because conclusive evidence has never been found, and Hoffa's fate still remains a mystery to this date. Hoffa was born in the early 1900s to a poor family in Indiana. But he proved to uh, be a natural leader through his youth. At the age of 20, he helped organize a labor strike in Detroit and remained an advocate for downtrodden workers for the rest of his life. Uh, Hoffa's charisma and talents as a local organizer got him noticed by the Teamster, and he grew through his ranks pretty fast. Uh, the Teamsters organized truckers across the country, and through the use of strikes, boycotts, and some other more powerful, though less legal methods of protest, won contract demands on behalf of the workers. I think everybody in America should know a little bit about Hoffa. I mean, his story is so uh, is so compelling. I mean, here's a guy. This is a rags to riches kind of story. You know, big money, unions. We all know how that goes here in the states. Some of these things are tied to organized crimes, etc., etc. Well, Hoffa became the president of the Teamsters uh, in the late 50s uh, when one of the leaders was imprisoned, I believe, for bribery is what the story says here. As Chief Hoffa was lauded for his tireless work to expand the union and for his unflagging devotion to even the organization's least powerful members. His caring and approachability were captured in one or more well-known quotes attributed to him. You got a problem? Call me. Just pick up the phone is uh, one of uh, Hoffa's famous quotes. You know, Hoffa was a people dude. And, you know, that's how you actually exercise leadership. You become part of uh, the folks that you're supposed to be leading. So he used that, used that skill. He used that, that tool very effectively. That trait, his dedication to uh, his folks, which were the workers of the Teamsters, and his electrifying public speeches made him super popular, uh, both uh, among fellow workers and the politicians plus the businessmen with whom he negotiated. Yet, for all his battles, uh, everything that he fought for and won on behalf of American drivers, he also had a dark side. In Hoffa's time, many Teamster leaders partnered with mafia in racketeering, extortion and embezzlement. Hoffa himself had relationships with high-ranking mobsters and was the target of several government investigations throughout the 1960s. In 1967, he was convicted for bribery and sentenced to 13 years in prison. While in jail, Hoffa never ceded his office, and when Richard Nixon commuted his sentence in 1971, he was poised to make a comeback. <laughs> Richard Nixon and Hoffa, can you believe that? Hmm, I didn't even know that part of it. 
released on a condition of not participating in union activities for 10 years. Hoffa was planning to fight the restriction in court when he disappeared on the afternoon of July the 30th, 1975. Mm. What were the chances of your screwing around with organized crime? Anyway, he disappeared from our parking lot in uh, Detroit, Michigan, not too far away from where he started his career. Wow. The next day, the family filed a missing persons report with the Bloomfield Township Police, thus starting every single conspiracy theory imaginable. And the rest, ladies and gentlemen, is legend. What a cool story that is, the Jimmy Hoffa story. I like it. It's intriguing. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is Sports History. Brought to you by History.com and on this day.com slash sports with Blondie. In the sun. I wonder where we're on the sun on this one. Oh, it's women's beach volleyball. Yeah. 2012, July the 28th, 2012. The Olympic Games in London in the UK took place between the 28th of July and August the 8th at Horse Guards Parade in the sun. It's beach volleyball. Where else would these ladies in bikinis play it? I mean, come on. You get to play. You get to wear a bikini. You also uh, get a suntan. Oh, <laughs> that's right. It's also Godzilla's favorite sport. <laughs> Let's get on. Let's get on with the sports uh, history fact today. 24 pairs of competitors were taking part, including one uh, from Great Britain, which was the host country, and a maximum of two from each other nation. 16 qualified through certain positions and rankings. Uh, five others earned their places through something called a Continental Beach Volleyball Cup. <laughs> pairs and cups. <laughs> you know, those uh, competitors must really work on their... Because that's always prominently uh, displayed on these competitions. Jeez. Just so you'll know why uh, this made significant uh, sports history this week is because by virtue of two American pairings winning gold and silver, this marked the second time in Olympic history the top two women's teams were both from the same country. The first being Brazil back in 1996 when this fine and thrilling Olympic event debuted. What's that, Gosilo? Yeah, I know. The U.S. played uh, Brazil last night, I think in Pool D. The day before, uh, they were playing Kenya, so. Uh, well, okay, Gosilo thinks that uh, Sarah Spunsel is hotter than uh, Kelly Clayes. Gosilo, get out of here, man. This is sports history, not current history. Plus, I... <laughs> I think because Gosilo made the cover of Time Magazine this week, he's sneakily trying to take over Adam's spot here. Come on, dude. That isn't that easy. Get out of here. Today, 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 today. Today in rock history, baby. Brought to you by History.com, Today in Music.com, Song 
1968, July the 20th, 1968. Wow, 1968, we're still playing that song. Wow. This song entered the U.S. chart for the first time on that date, on July 20th, 1968. The album contained a 17-minute title track that filled <laughs> the second side of the LP. Wow. For those of you who are uh, very young and probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast to begin with, but we kindly thank you anyway, an LP is what you would call a vinyl. You know, that's, that's what you hipsters call these things. But man, 1968, let me do some math here real quick. This is the podcast that no math is done, but 2021 minus 1968. Wow, that was 53 years ago. And this LP has gone on to sell 4 million copies in the U.S. alone. Settle down, class. It's this week's rockin' higher education lesson on Led Zeppelin. 101 with Professor Adam Lee Tate. And this is Zeppelin's Four Sticks. thinking here maybe uh professor adam lee tate wanted me just to take over his uh, summer uh professoring duties uh, i'm kind of catching on to you here buddy anyway today in this week's higher education lesson on zeppelin 101 1977 july the 23rd 1977 Led Zeppelin drummer John Bonham was charged with assault after a concert at the Oakland Coliseum in California. Bonham and band manager Peter Grant, with the help of one of their bodyguards, roughed up a security employee of the venue. After pleading guilty to misdemeanors, the accused settled out of court for $2 million. (laughs) That's crazy. The tour would eventually be canceled after Robert Plant's son had died. Uh, sadly, a few weeks later, yeah. His son uh, says here, Kyrak, I hope I got that right, died of, I think it was a stomach flu that hit that kid. That's pretty sad. You're riding high. You're super successful. You're hanging out with Elvis. You're enjoying your fame and your fortune. You're out touring the world, and your kid passes away back at home. Man, geez, that's really messed up. Nonetheless, goes to show you that even the Zeps are human. Superhuman, but still human. Yeah, that sucker's going on the test for sure. We're gonna take it down a little bit with the cars. 
and their hit Drive. 1984, July the 24th, 1984, baby. I've said it before, I like the cars a lot. You know, they regularly uh, come on on my player. Anyway, the cars released Drive from their Heartbeat City album as a single. Upon its release, Drive became the car's highest charting single, where it peaked at number three on the U.S. charts. Hmm. The song is associated with the 1985 Live Aid event where it was performed by Benjamin Orr during the Philadelphia concert. And previously, the song was used as a background music to a montage of clips depicting the shit that was happening during the Ethiopian famine at the London Live Aid event. And that montage was introduced by none other than Mr. David Bowie. Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Yeah, Joan Jett showing up on our podcast again. I like Joan Jett. This is one of those weird side stories that uh, I came up upon this week researching for this uh, podcast. On July 19th, 1985, Joan Jett called up-and-coming heavyweight boxer Mike Tyson before his fight with Larry Sims which Tyson won handedly. I think Tyson beat his ass in like a round and a half. I can't even remember. I, I, I remember the next day I was on a plane heading out to uh, Texarkana Army Depot. I do remember that. We're going out to some field problem out there. The superstitious Tyson, what were the chances Tyson is superstitious? This guy's not afraid of shit. Insisted on getting a call from Jet before Every fight, which he does until breaking tradition for his bout against Buster Douglas in February of 1990. And guess what? The mighty Tyson got his ass handed to him that day. Oh, wow. Who knew? Joan Jett, the good luck charm. Uh. Oh, shit. I want to get up and do my dance moves now. It's Millie Vanilli. Girl, you know it's true. That's an, that, that's enough, guys. I'm good. 1989. July the 20th, 1989. These guys. <laughs> performing at a Club MTV tour at the uh, Bristol, Connecticut stop. Millie Vanilli's tracks. Go screwy when they try to lip sync to the song, Girl, You Know It's True. <laughs> I think everybody knows this one. And it's uh, and it's on the line that says, Girl, You Know It's, and it kept on repeating over and over. And at that point, the, the duo panics, and they run off stage. They scurry off the stage. They say, like, We're out of here. Wait a minute. I think I have. Yeah, I do have. I have some audio recording of what happened that day. Take a listen. Girl, you know it's. 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 
Even uh, downtown Julie Brown's Wubba 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 was skipping that day. <laughs> Fire the technician, goddammit. Everybody knows that these guys lip sync, so what's the big deal? <laughs> I saw this story for the first time, I believe it was, on Behind the Music on VH1. And oh, that was so horrible. They got their Grammy stripped from them, the whole deal. <laughs> it's so messed up. Downtown Julie Brown. Jeez, what a flashback. Anyway, before I continue with the podcast, I, I want to read this email. Let me let me regain my composure real quick. I want to uh, go ahead and read this email. And since we do have an email, uh, I need to play this. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this email is from listener James G. On uh, He wrote to us on April the 12th of 2021. He says, Dear Tommy and Adam, listening to your podcast for a while now, and I noticed that even after Jay isn't on the show anymore, you still seem to include some hip-hop. I think that's slamming. Oh, excuse you. It gives your podcast more depth. I don't think Adam is into it too much, but he seems to know enough to counter anything Tommy throws out, which is usually the bad stuff that happens in hip-hop culture. Well, of course, James G. I mean, that's unfortunately, that's what comes out on it. Uh, I'm in my 30s, and I like both the old classic rock and the early hip-hop culture. Well, okay, yeah. Me too. Uh, can you include or balance both out, he asks. <laughs> Let's not go that far, James G. Play it often. No, I think he means here, play it often. <laughs> play it often, play it loud, but play it. Thanks, signed, James G. Oh, well, thank you, James, for uh, taking the time and writing to us. That was uh, excellent of you. Also, uh, it's not old classic rock. It's rock and roll. It's not old. It has nothing to do with old. So just want to clear that up for you, buddy. That's it. Also, on your observation about Adam not being into it, you're correct. But never count him out because Adam knows a lot more than what he uh, would want us to uh, believe. Adam also has teenagers in his house. So uh, he has to suffer sometimes through some of all this uh, <laughs> music that's not of particularly of his uh, liking, but I'm sure he does get a dose, a good dose of it. Now, James suggested that we try to balance out whatever we have going on on this podcast. Well, James, number one, no, that's not going to happen. Number two, I would like Adam to come back. <laughs> so let's not try to do anything where he stays away from this podcast. And if you have something on your mind that you'd like to share it with us, you can write us at Tommy in Adam pod at gmail.com and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to read it and who knows we may even read it while we're uh, doing uh, our podcast however I did tell the listeners of the Tommy and Adam hard to name podcast available on Spotify Apple podcast app RSS podcast Castbox, and all your other favorite DSPs that I was working on some things and this is one of them Nah, bro, you, you see me, bro? I'm hard, bro. I'm hard, bro. I'm hard, bro. I'm hard, bro. Let's get started. It's the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Historic hip-hop 
rapizzle moment. Yo. And in 2000, July the 20th in 2000, about 7,000 insane clown posse fans, many in clown makeup, just like their heroes in the group, descend on the Novi Expo Center in Novi, Michigan for the first gathering of the Juggalos. (laughs) I find the Juggalos fascinating. By the end of the gathering, the place is sticky with fago soda and left in ruins. All to be expected of an ICP uh, concert, show, gathering, whatever you want to call it. This is a really unique subculture tied to any kind of musical group. And it's like you take all the poor and disenfranchised and you throw them into this uh, collective which share this immense love for these maniacs and the insane clown posse. If you get a chance, there's a movie. I want to say it's either on Amazon Prime or, and it's on one of those streaming services. And it's about the insane clown posse, but more so about the Juggalos. Check it out if you have a chance. Anyway, tickets for the two-day convention. Oh, wow, this is for two days. Were 60 bucks in advance, and it included a host of activities attuned to the taste of the juggalos. Oh, uh, here we go. There's a Blue Monkey Circus Sideshow, Freaks of Nature Gone Wrong, Juggalo Championship Wrestling, <laughs> the Psycho Karaoke con- Contest. I guess that's where you could be like Violent J and Shaggy Too Dope. I'm not sure about that one. Uh, the Fago Armageddon, a Lingerie Contest. Nice. A Hillbilly Dunk Tank. The Miss Juggalit pageant and a scavenger hunt. Oh, wow. For two days, man, these uh, fans must have been in a Fago drenched heaven. And of course, let's not leave out lots of music with performances by the Insane Clown Posse and the other acts on their Detroit based label, Psychopathic Records. It says here that the other acts were called uh, Twisted and uh, Cottonmouth Kings. Before I go on or even close out this part of the podcast, I've mentioned Fago a few times. And Fago is this really cheap pop, soda, uh, cola, whatever you want to call it. And uh, they shake it up and they shoot it with these water cannons. And it is all over the place. By the time the show is over, the whole venue is drenched in this Fago cola. (laughs) Anyway, nonetheless, uh, this, these gatherings have been going on for years now. And as expected, wherever they uh, go, uh, they're not welcome back. But yeah, check it out. Check out this, uh, this, you know, just look at it from like an anthropology standpoint. And you'll see how interesting uh, these uh, juggalos and their uh, worship of the insane clown posse is. Before I close out the segment, a couple of weeks ago, the uh, rapper and beatbox artist Biz Marquis 
passed away, and we've covered him here in this podcast. I enjoyed his music. I knew some of his songs. He was uh, beloved in the uh, hip-hop community. He was, I think, 56. So, yeah, three deaths this year, uh, three major deaths in the uh, hip-hop community. So, Bismarcky, as you uh, depart to hip-hop heaven, uh, this scratch is for you. Introduction. It's the mighty Metallica. Wow. I needed that after that horrible segment that I just closed out. First time, not too bad. Metallica. Yes. On July the 30th, 1991, Enter Sandman was released as a single, serving as a preview of what's to come from Metallica's Black Album. You know, if you guys have been paying attention to the uh, rock and roll news, uh, Ultimate Classic Rock and Loudwire, etc., etc., you'll see this uh, pretty large publicity campaign going on for the reissue of the Black Album. Going back to Enter Sandman, uh, the B-side of the single was Queen's Stone Cold Crazy. We all know that uh, Metallica does a great job on that song as well. Enter Sandman reached number 16 on the Hot 100, and it was their best showing uh, up to this point in the history of the mighty Metallica. Maybe I'll just have to start a segment just for Metallica as well. I don't know yet. These are just things that I have brewing in my brain. That's some pulp. Their song Disco 2000. 2005, July the 22nd, 2005. This day in rock history. Research by a car insurance company showed that listening to the wrong sort of music when driving can lead to aggression and distraction. No shit. Dr. Nikolai Dibbin, a music psychologist. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a music psychologist said that singing while driving stimulates the mind. Songs recommended to sing while you're driving are included. This song right here that I just played, Pulp's Disco 2000, and Disco 2000 is the name of the song. Also, a Hey Y'all by The Outcast. But the doctor said, and this is the doctor saying it, songs such as Prodigy's Firestarter should be avoided. Hey, they'll have no problem with me on that one. To prove a point, on July 24, 2014, former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin, (laughs) she's wacky, received a speeding ticket in her hometown of Wasila. Now get this. She blamed her excessive speed, which was 63 miles per hour in a 45 miles per hour zone, on uh, Sammy Hagar's song, I Can't Drive 55, which was playing on her radio. Say what? Bitch, please. Bitch, please. Bitch, please. Bitch, please. <laughs> After Sammy Hagar got word of that, he tweeted uh, offering Palin to pay for the ticket. 
Sammy Hagar's a good dude. I wouldn't have offered to pay shit. This weekend, oh yeah, KISS! party every day off of uh, one of my special recordings because on July the 19th 2012 KISS played a special show for veterans at the Jiffy Lube Amphitheater in Bristol, Virginia and guess who was there you got it man it was me and my buddy Ricky Santiago we had a great time oh wow uh, the concert was called Thanks to our troops and veterans, yeah. Oh, I mean, I, even I can see the video right now. I see my buddy Ricky with his with his face just loving. Oh, we were front stage. Oh, oh, definitely one of one of my greatest rock and roll moments uh, in my life. Oh, whoosh! Listen to this. Listen to that. A sea of confetti, front stage, oh! Paul Stanley right in front of me, Gene Simmons right in front of me, oh! It was a great day. Let me get my heart rate down. Okay, good. This is how it went down. I was riding my bicycle to work, and this is when I was living in North Carolina, by the way. And I received this text from my friend, Ricky Santiago, that says, Run up to your computer right now and open your email. So I said, okay, cool. That's kind of cryptic. I said, okay, no worries. I go upstairs, turn on my computer, and there's this email that says, you have been selected to win an opportunity, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see KISS along with another 1,000 veterans at this special show in Bristol, Virginia. All you need to do is reply to this email to see if you're a lucky winner. Oh, no sooner than I read that, I immediately send an email. And 10 minutes later, I get this reply that said I had been selected. I'm losing my mind. I can't believe it. I'm on the phone with my friend Ricky. He had been selected as well. And by the way, he lives up in the uh, D.C. area because Bristol, Virginia is in the D.C. area. The reply to the email also said, you will be receiving further instructions as we get closer to the event. We thought, cool. It's probably USO sponsored. We have no tickets. We have nothing. It's like you're in this dream that you're going like, oh, my God, I don't want to wake up. This, I, I can't believe it. So we start both monitoring our emails to see what, you know, what's the deal. Anyway, it doesn't matter because by then it's Thursday and I'm on my way up to D.C. I'm going to stay with Ricky. We're going to go out to the show. I get up to D.C. a little bit later on. That day we receive the other email that says, show up to this venue, show up to this parking lot and wait for further instructions. So the whole deal with the tickets and getting in is even more of a mystery 
at this point because we have still have no tickets. But nonetheless, we do as we're instructed and we look towards the gates and there's these lines forming already. So Rick and me go, you know, let's just go into the line. By this point in this incredible adventure, this excitement is building up. And I look to my left and I see that they're setting up some tables. And I said to Ricky, I said, dude, that's where we want to go right there. Those tables have to do with this. We go up there. We're probably one of the first people up to the tables. And yes, they were given out two tickets each and a couple of vouchers. Now, this is the amphitheater in Bristol, Virginia. Like the asshole that I always am, I'm overthinking stuff. And I'm like, why would Kiss invite just a thousand fans to this amphitheater? And that thought just makes my anxiety skyrocket. But it didn't matter because we were inside this venue already. By then, we were walking around. The other two vouchers were to like sign up for some drawings that they were going to be having. Then we go and sit down inside the, uh, the seating area of this amphitheater. Now, if you've been to an amphitheater, you know how big they are because they have a seating area. Then they have this lawn area. All us fans, the ones that had been picked, the lucky few were sitting inside uh, the seating area of the amphitheater. While we're seated, Ricky and me are pretty close to the front of the stage. We look at each other and say, oh, hell no. This is a rock concert. We're going to the barrier. No sooner than we get up to go to the barrier, all these other people start coming to the barrier. It's a rock show. You're supposed to be in front of that stage, especially for Kiss. Oh, what a great night it was. Anyway, it turns out that this was a dress rehearsal for the tour that they were going to go on with Motley Crue that summer. The crowd goes absolutely bonkers. Paul Stanley goes into his uh, rap with the crowd, thanks everybody out there. You know, these guys are top supporters of veterans. They gave out a check to hiring our heroes, I believe, for $250,000. They start calling out the winners for the raffle that they were having. Uh, amongst the prizes was a replica of the axe shape. Gene Simmons bass guitar. Another of the prizes which was super cool was a ride on Tommy Lee's rock and roll roller coaster for the next day. And that was the opening show of their tour. So whoever won that one got to ride with Tommy Lee in the roller coaster. Oh, if I would have won that, I probably wouldn't be alive. My head would have exploded. It was incredible. It was just a night never to forget. I, to me, it's just like it was yesterday. My friend Ricky, I will be forever, forever, ever grateful for that text that he sent me. Run up and uh, check your email. By the end of the evening, we had a great time. I've, I've told a few stories uh, of things that happened during that show. You could go back and listen to previous podcasts. But anyway, I, th I don't think I ever told the complete story until today. It was just absolute. It was beautiful. It was. It was. It's really hard to describe the emotion that I go through every single time that I remember that. You know, I'm there in front of my rock and roll heroes and for free. And guess what? I also got a playlist, the playlist that they had taped to the stage floor. I know I'm getting older, but truly, there is no better experience to me if you're a rock and roll fan than to see a rock show up front, close and personal. It's just, there's just no way around it. And that is probably one of my better rock and roll stories. I'll, I'll, I'll be telling this uh, probably until the day that I die. Thank you, Kiss! Oh, that was, that was like a workout. Anyway, let's just close this out with a quick side note here. 
today in Kiss history, back in 2007. Heart problems forced Kiss singer and guitarist Paul Stanley to abandon a show in California. Paramedics stopped and restarted his heart to give it a regular rhythm after his heart spontaneously jumped to 190 beats per minute. Now that I read this, I believe there was an episode of Family Jewels, you know, Gene Simmons' Family Jewels, where this uh, actually was taking place. And that's pretty wild because that's how we're going to close out this week in Kiss History because my heart is feeling just about that right now. The Foo Fighters learning to fly. But it's not really the Foo Fighters. Because in 2015, July the 26th, 2015, I go from one of my favorite bands or my top favorite band to one of my other favorite bands. I have so many favorite bands I lose track. But... The Foo Fighters definitely are up there. As a matter of fact, it's probably, I'm going to speak on behalf of of Adam on this one because he's also uh, a big fan of the Foo's. Anyway, going back to the story, in a field just outside of Cesena, Italy, and I'm probably going to fuck up a bunch of names on this one. Musicians and singers play Foo Fighters Learn to Fly, this that you're listening to right now, simultaneously. In other words, a thousand of them are playing all at the same time with the dream of attracting the band, the Foo Fighters, to play the show in their city for the first time in nearly 20 years. This group uh, behind the idea of doing this uh, thousand-member performance was led by a guy called Fabio Safanini. Uh, He assembled hundreds of volunteers and a video crew to orchestrate this epic video shoot of the performance with the intention of getting the attention of the Foo Fighters frontman, Mr. Dave Grohl, and to respond to it. After a full day of shooting the video and a few more days to edit the video, they finally send out this plea for for the Foo Fighters to come out and play to a city with less than 100,000 people. Within hours of the video being uploaded on YouTube, it goes viral. Of course it's going to go viral. That's That's a pretty incredible feat obtaining over 10 million views and it is shared across the entire uh, social media network twitter facebook the whole spectrum you know and by then social media has a complete and full grip on the world so this is 2015 it's gonna spread like wildfire so imagine as this video is going worldwide dave Grohl finally gets to see it and he responds personally on the Foo Fighters Twitter account with a, and I'm going to try to read this, Si vediamo a presa, Cesena, XXX, Davide, hashtag, Rockin' 1000. The translation is, see you soon, Cesena. <laughs> nice. Then on the following day, Dave Grohl goes ahead and makes a cell phone video titled, it says here, per Cesena and... Hashtag rockin' 1000. And speaking in Italian, he praises the video and ends with Stiamo arrivando prometto, which translates to we are coming, I promise. (laughs) Now, to any of our listeners, to any of our legions in Italy, if I mispronounce that, well, you know, you could always send us an email 
to Tommy and Adam Pod at gmail.com. And uh, we're like Dave Grohl. You know, we like making our fans happy as well. So if you attach an audio file of all that I just read there, we'll probably play it on the podcast. More than likely. To end this fairy tale story, on November the 3rd, 2015, the Foo Fighters take the stage at the Neova Teatro Calisport in Cesena, Italy. Appropriately, the band opens with Learn to Fly and delivers surprise covers over the course of the marathon set, culminating in Grohl asking Fabio, remember Fabio, he's the dude that organized all this stuff, and the guy on the video that was playing one of the drums, I think they called a Mohawk guy to join them and sit on a cover of Under Pressure with the band they successfully convinced to come and play at their city. Wow. Whoever tells you that social media and YouTube and you know things like that are of no value, guess what, you imbecile? You are so wrong! Thank you, Foo Fighters! It's that time to kick back in the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast time machine. Open your mind and listen to the significant album. Who knows? You may even be delightfully wounded by one of Mr. Adam Tate's deep cuts. Listen up. It's about to get real heavy. things out. I mean, kids, Foo Fighters, and now this. I'm going to end up in the hospital here by the end of this podcast. Saturday morning, Tommy Martinez, podcaster died of excitement. Woo! ACDC's Back in Black, their first album without lead singer Bon Scott, who had died five months earlier. The album has sold an estimated 49 million copies worldwide to date, making it the second highest selling album of all time. It doesn't say what genre, you know, rock or or pop or shit like that. It says of all time, album of all time. And it's the best selling hard rock and heavy metal album of all time. So 
if you're a rock fan and you don't have this record, guess what? You've been missing out. If you're a young rock fan and you don't have this record, you need this as part of your schooling. I was 15 years old when this record came out. I remember uh, Highway to Hell and you know I, I, something in the rock magazines. It was either Hit Parader or Cream or something like that. We had read the story of Bon Scott passing. And, you know, I was in high school at the time, and we were living in Puerto Rico. It's not like we had uh, social media and everything else that we have nowadays that we almost know instantly something like this is going on. But we're going like, oh, here we go. We're going to get a replacement, and it's going to suck. We were so wrong. This album, you know, served as a tribute to Scott. And it opened with this song right here, the tolling of these bells, Hell's Bells, a sound they got from commissioning a one-ton bell from a foundry in England. Here, let me just fade this out. Catch my breath. Here we go. So then it says here that after Scott's death, the band wasn't sure if they would continue, but at uh, Bon Scott's funeral, uh, his dad insisted, look, you guys got to keep moving, moving forward on this vision of yours. The new frontman the band had picked was someone that Scott actually admired. It's Brian Johnson from a local British band right there. Uh, and if you know your uh, ACDC history, his first task was writing a lyrics to sync up with the explosive tracks the band was already working on. And in true ACDC form, he honored Scott with not sentimentality, but with swaggering lyrics about sex, drinking, and rock and roll, which is kind of ironic because Scott died of excessive drinking. He died of uh, alcohol poisoning. Now, the next track on this uh, on this monster album is Shoot to a Thrill. Explosive? Yes, I say so. They say it's not easy to fill shoes. This is what they mean. This entire album is just one song after the other that's in your face. Just like uh, the narrative had said previously. It uh, it has a few deep cuts, but it's almost like uh, like ZZ Top's Eliminator. It's only one or two two songs that uh didn't make it to the radio for X or Y reason. Probably because at this point it would should it would have just been ACDC Overload. Okay, Electricity ACDC Overload. Yeah, <laughs> I got you right there. The next song on this is What You Do. For money, honey, and this would be one of those deep, one of those deep cuts by Adam Tate. I'm gonna go as fast as I can just to give you a quick sampling of this album. Uh, the next one is "Give, uh, Give a Dog a Bone." If there's anything 
that was really difficult for me this week was this week in 1983, Metallica released Kill 'Em All. So I believe we covered that one last week. In uh, 1984, they released Ride the Lightning. And in 1987, Guns N' Roses released uh, their uh, monster record as well, which was Appetite for Destruction. But ACDC made the cut. And I'm going to tell you why ACDC made the cut, at least in my mind. Let's play the next record. Uh, Let me put my love in you. Uh, that's you know what that's about. It's a nice little ballad. <laughs> but uh, no, it's because this is the kind of record that when you're 15, 16, whatever, want to make you pick up a guitar or the drums or whatever and learn. And you can you can actually start seeing how hard rock and heavy metal, which eventually turned into what's called today classic rock, emerges from a band like ACDC, which is all power core. The next song on this album is actually the title track, but I'm going to skip that and I'm going to play you this one, which I'm sure you've heard many, 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 many times on uh, on the radio. Also, you've seen the video, which is, you know, if you have it, the beginning of the video is probably one of the uh, most uh, significant and memorable videos for me because... I remember seeing this guy that looks like, you know, some guy from down the corner with his wife beater and whatnot. But uh, yeah. Now, keep in mind, I said that this record was written on things that rock and roll is based on. And this next song is definitely one of those examples. It's Have a Drink on Me. Off of ACDC's Back in Black. Rocket Baby. For some wild reason, I think I've said this before on, on the podcast. Music has the ability of, you know, exciting you in the present and transporting you to the past. Every single time I listen to this song, I have in my mind this vision of this uh, local rock and roll club slash bar that used to be out there in Fayetteville, North Carolina, when I was a kid, maybe 18, 19, 20, however I was. And uh, however old I was, excuse me. And I have this vision of when this song would come on, the jukebox, that everybody would raise their mugs or their bottles or whatever they had in their hand and they were all chanting to have a drink on me. It's like stuck in my brain for whatever reason. But again, that's the beauty of music. The next song is another deep cut. Shake a leg. Shit, I've been yapping for an hour and some change now. And my WhatsApp is activating. Uh, you know, this week, if you have a, a road trip or you know, you're going to drive for 30 or 40 minutes straight or you're going to sit somewhere, or maybe uh, you're teleworking and uh, you have, uh, you're going to, you want to pretend that you're actually listening to whatever anybody is saying, just put uh, this album on and uh, 
hit the mute button and enjoy the musical trip that this album is going to take you on. Because if you're a fan of this uh, podcast, and if you're a fan of music in general, you can absolutely relate to when somebody's fucking with you and they tell you to turn that shit down. Because rock and roll ain't no noise pollution. Hey now, you middlemen! Throw away your fancy clothes! And why are you out there? You see how I tie that in? <laughs> so get up your house and come down here! Cause rock and roll ain't no middleman! To me, it makes good, good sense! Good sense! Yeah, let's go! Prophetic words, if I've ever heard any. Rock and roll does make good, good sense. Here's uh, some trivia facts uh, while I play uh, the title track and the last song off of this album this morning. And this is ACDC's Back in Black. hear that probably a million times and it gets better every single time oh. anyway this song uh, was a tribute to Bond which I believe we had discussed uh, the album cover the black album cover is also a tribute to Bond Scott this album was recorded in the Bahamas and it was produced by Mutt Lang who had also helmed their previous album Highway to Hell this album in particular is second only to Michael Jackson's Thriller. And that's only because of global sales. Who cares, right? Because in our hard rock heart, it's way better than Mr. Miguel Jackson's. This album and its key song is where Johnson channels Scott over Angus Young's monster riff. Oh, that one right there. Forget the hearse, because he'll never die. Uh, says uh, Johnson. And uh, as a quick summary, this is how Back in Black became what it is. It was done with balls and no compromise. When ACDC and rock fans in general were under attack by whatever the popular and growing MTV was playing on their channel, this is what we had to counterattack. Creating our in a form of rock music during the era of the late 70s, 80s, and beyond puts ACDC in the very top echelon of rock history. So pick it up, play it, stream it, and treat your soul to some excellent rock and roll. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was today's significant album. significant album
That's Queens, Stone Cold Crazy. Born on this day, rock and roll birthdays, baby. Mr. Brian May, he turned 74. Yeah, Brian May, guitarist, singer and songwriter with Queen. He turned 74 in the past couple of weeks that I've been gone <laughs> from recording this podcast. So happy birthday, Mr. Brian May. It was great work. There was actually a shitload of birthdays while I was gone. This guy right here also uh, had a birthday, one of my favorites, and the creator of many of my songs. Mr. Giddy Lee, who turned 68 on July the 29th of 1953. Working man! Too much today. Oh, happy birthday, Giddy. And you know that even though we had a shit ton of birthdays, there is no way we're going to exclude this gentleman right here. Born Saul Hudson. Mr. Slash was born the 23rd of July of 1965. He's 56. What a great year to be born. Yeah, guitarist with Guns N' Roses. And everything else in Happy birthday, Smash. We got a special mention here, Mr. Chris Cornell. He had been born the 20th of uh, July of 1964, died May the 17th of 2017. Other notable mentions, uh, since they're important to this podcast and to rock and roll in general, Mr. Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones was born July the 26th of 1943. He's 78. Roger Taylor of Queen, he was born July the 26th as well of 1949, so he is 71. J.J. French of Twisted Sister fame, he was born July the 20th of 1952, he's 69. Pearl Jam guitarist Stone Gossard, he was born in 1966, he's 55 today. George Clinton of Parliament Funkadelic, we all know who George is. He was born July the 22nd of 1940, that cat is 81 years old today. He's also a North Carolinian. He was born in uh, Kannapolis, North Carolina. I didn't know that. Spent various years in that state. Last but not least, the true, the original sweetheart of our podcast, Mrs. Jennifer Lopez. She's 51. She was born July the 24th of 1970. And for that, dear God, we thank you so much. And since it's Jennifer Lopez, guess what? You already know what she gets. She gets... And how fitting because we're ready to go into the next segment. It's the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast, birthday number three. Why even go into the third birthday when we just mentioned Jennifer Lopez? <laughs> Gee, likes. <laughs> Gee, you need to go back, dude, and relax a minute. We haven't really even started. Of course we know you like. 
We like two. <laughs> what is there not to like about Jennifer Lopez? Jeez. And the third birthday is brought to you by the Lord of the G-String app. Download it. Get it off of uh, Tommy and Adam hard to name podcast.com or off of datecovapromotions.com. You know, this week I had my Lord of the G-Strings app open. I was probably doing some podcast research or something serious like that. And I put my phone down and all of a sudden it went crazy. I said, oh, Lord, something something is popping up here. And when I look, it's J-Lo. She was on a boat. <laughs> So it, it alerts me to J-Lo as well, you know. And J-Lo, she was sunbathing, and it was really nice. And, you know, she had her uh, big butt unconstrained by any kind of uh, <laughs> clothing. <laughs> it was nice. It was like, you know, it was like looking like at a solar panel, you know, because it's that color. You know, it's a beautiful <laughs> cinnamon color we've discussed. But uh, let's try to forget that for the time being. And uh, I want Stop. Who's, who's at the control panel? Stop, stop it. Cosilo, stop it. Stop it, please. <laughs> I've lost I've lost my damn place now. Come on. We 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 really need to get the business. There it goes. Lord of the G string apps. And it has come up with oh wow. It has come up with the with the Jody Joe. Wow. The Jody Joe, and that is T-H-E underscore J-O-D-I-E-J-O-E. The Jody Joe. I just noticed it's the before her name. Are there others and she is just the Jody Joe? We'd have to investigate a little bit further. Hmm, yeah. It's a cinnamon color one. Stop it. I know already. I already know who got this one for us here off of the Lord of the G-String app. to be known as Agents T and A. <laughs> it's Agent X3. As always, I think he's doing a fine job. Cosino, you just stay right there. Don't push too many buttons, buddy. I was speaking with uh, with Agent X3, and he was telling me that on these Instagram pages, that there are not only posts, but there's also things called IGTV and Reels. And I guess Adam and me are not that well uh, educated on these uh, Instagram uh, model pages. But nonetheless, let's go to the Jody. Joe's here. Some of her stats. She has 311 posts. Okay. Wow. She has 1.2 million followers with just 311 posts. Oh, she must be fire. And 500, she follows 511. Uh, it says here, Jodit Jenami is her name. Okay. And there's no other information. So let's just jump right into it. Hmm. The first one, she's drabbed. Uh, in this really, really, really long hair. That's the number one uh, pick that's on her page. It looks like she's at a restaurant. She actually has jeans 
and uh, all the way down to her feet. <laughs> there's no, they're not short jeans. They're mm-hmm, okay. Oh, but I already noticed there's a there's this big uh, this big tear in her jeans right uh, underneath her. Uh, I would think that's her her gluteus area. Uh huh. Yeah, and the caption says, "Good days." Uh, bad days. Um, okay, you weren't having a good day. Oh, I would imagine because you're you're not uh showing uh, everything that uh that you possibly can. <laughs> the next picture on that one is she is on a boat, and it says the Jody Joe says, if uh if let's catch a vibe was a person. Ah, oh, excuse her. Yeah, I would agree with that. She's on a boat. She's sitting uh. Facing forward in this picture, she has a white uh, bikini kind of thing, and she has this uh, kind of a Indiana Jones kind of a hat. And also, she has very, very long hair on this one. Okay, okay. Mm, let's just jump a little bit ahead here. Jump to about maybe. Mm. Figure it out. Jeez, relax. I got it. It's close to about maybe 50 around there. Yeah, that's it right there. Oh, relax. Yeah. This is a lot of hard work here involved. Anyway, yeah, the Jody Joe, she is probably about maybe about picture number 50. And oh, yes, definitely. She is uh, in what Adam would like uh, to call our favorite pose where her back is turned toward us and she is looking over. Her left shoulder. I see that she has kind of a steampunk type of goggles, and her hair went from uh, black to blonde. Huh? Oh, to match her bikini. I get it. Yeah, sure, absolutely, Jody Joe. I like that. Yeah, very unique. I hadn't seen one uh, after all these uh, months that we've been doing the third birthday with the Lords of the G String app, and anything that has to do. With the steampunk fashion. Oh, okay, she branches out. She takes risks. By the way, she also has steampunk boots on that one. I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and try some of these reels that Agent X3 was talking to me about. Uh, let me see, he said, go up to the page. Okay, there it is right there. So there's post, and then there's another one that says reel. Oh, there's the IGTV. So let's just hit on reels. And wow, that's crazy. Booty, booty, booty alert. Absolutely. I can see now why uh, <laughs> Agent X3 uh, would do this. It activated immediately the alarm. Oh, okay, 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 okay. I'll tell you what, we're just going to look at one. And it's the second one, and it's called Buy a Whole Lot of Money. <laughs> I can see uh, where all your money is going there. Uh, Jody Joe, she is back to her uh, black hair, very long. I think those are extensions, I think is what my wife says those are, but it doesn't matter. They look very, uh, uh, very well. They look very good on her. Uh, she's kind of like in a tan uh, gistro. It kind of matches her cinnamony. <laughs> stop, stop, Gosilo, don't you dare. Uh, cinnamony color. Uh, wow. Uh, long boots all the way up to the knees and... She is enjoying the sun on that deck. She's posing left and right. Uh, I, it's just perfection all over. Her gluteus uh, maximus there is uh, looks like it's uh, has 
gone through that uh, glute isolation training that we've discussed here before, and it's also worthy of a rumpology reading. Let's read some of the comments here real quick. Mm, somebody wrote, where the money resides. <laughs> you can see very clearly where that money is going. But uh, let's see one of some of these comments here. There's one that says there's a bunch of them with fire and foxes and hearts. Oh, I, 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 I'm not the only one that agrees. Let's see. This, this one actually has a statement. It, it says that as, and the as is spelled A-Z-Z. <laughs> Looking real strange. And it has like that little face where they're confused emoji. Too fake. <laughs> Looking like two basketballs. Oh, that's just rude. That's just wrong. I would say like like more like two volleyballs, you know, to go proportion with what uh, God gave her because the two basketballs would have been way too big. This person, whoever wrote this comment, evidently has never had a vehicle or, yeah, a vehicle that has needed some upgrades, either be it the rims or the stereo, anything to enhance that work that came out of the factory. All Miss Jody Joe did was enhanced whatever uh, came from the factory. I, I have no, personally, I have no issue with that. Miss Jody Joe, don't listen to that person. That's that's a hater. Plus, you got to be featured here on the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast third birthday. You really can't beat that. But. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Go ahead and check her out. She's doing pretty good on that Instagram. You know, that's uh that was a pretty good uh, third birthday there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, thanks, Gosilo. Uh I was gonna tell you guys that uh ever since we created our own Instagram page under the Datekova underscore promotions uh handle, we've had some interesting uh followers ourselves and uh, many of them are potential third birthday candidates it is time now for hashtag what the frijoles hmm, i wonder what we have here today oh okay it's the 100 greatest gayest albums of all time yes. Yes. Wait a minute, fellas, you mean that this is uh, gay, not necessarily the synonym of happy? Yes! Oh, okay, yeah. If I would have read a little further, I would have seen where this is from out.com. So, okay, but what makes this a what the frijoles? Let's just go ahead and uh, dabble a bit here now. Celebrated writer Andrew Holleran once said, if you love music, you may find yourself in the curious position of following a young man, not because he is sexually interesting or even sexually possible, but because the radio he carries is playing Do or Die. An astute remark from a gay man who understands the stimulating, unifying effects great music could have on his listeners. Oh, okay. That's from the perspective of a gay man. Okay, no worries. But what makes a great album? Or perhaps even more critical to this list, what makes a great album gay? To create our list of the 100 greatest gayest albums of all time, we polled more than 100 actors, comedians, musicians, writers, critics, performing artists, label reps, and DJs 
obviously, asking each to list the 10 albums that left the most indelible impressions on their lives. You'll notice we expanded the catalog to include not only records by queer musicians, but also any records that may have relevance to those voting. While albums by Elton John, K.D. Lang, George Michael, Pet Shop Boys, and Anna DeFranco appear time and again on these lists, many celebrities included what they consider gay masterpieces by mostly stray acts like ABBA, Donna Summer, and of course, Madonna. So, without further ado, here they are. Well, I'm not going to go through all the 100. That's bullshit. And that's a hell of a lot. And just with the starter, which is 100, I could see why this made the What the Frijoles. Number 100 is the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club. I personally would have never known that that album was gay. And not only that, I bet you it's one of the gay masterpieces. At 95, it's Culture Club. No surprise there. Kissing to be clever. They also have another entry here, which is a color by numbers. That made number 56. Madonna. Madonna has one, two, three, four, five albums in the uh, top 100. She has at number 87 is her first entry, and that's Confessions on a Dance Floor. Number 86 is Madonna's Madonna. Number 46 is Ray of Light. Number 36 is Erotica. Number eight, so she makes a top ten with the Immaculate Collection. All right, Madonna, waving the flag for the uh, gay albums. Cindy Lauper comes in at 84 with True Colors. She also comes in at number nine with She's So Unusual. Cher at number 82 with her album Believe. 82, and she only has one entry. I would think that, you know, that album would have been in the top ten. I don't know why. At number 81 is the Scissor Sisters. <laughs> For real? <laughs> With their album, ta-da! And they're also uh, uh, at number 26, at position number 26, <laughs> with their self-titled album, Scissor Sister. <laughs> oh my God, Scissor Sisters, that's incredible. <laughs> number 74, Michael Jackson's Off the Wall, incredible. 71 clocks in uh, with Elton John's Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. And at number seven, another top 10 is Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. At number 68 is Nirvana's Nevermind. That's a what the frijoles. The purple one, Prince, makes his, his entry at number 57. And he also, uh, that one would be with Dirty Mind. And he's also at number 43 with Purple Rain. At 55, David Bowie makes his first appearance with Diamond Dog. And he also has holds the 21 spot with Hunky Dory. I'm going to keep advancing through these because there's some pretty obvious ones like Frankie Goes to Hollywood and the Pet Shop Boys, Melissa Etheridge. And when I say obvious is because these are already artists that uh, have been uh, out. They have declared themselves part of the LGBTQ community. So relax a little bit. It's okay. Uh, at number 37, Parallel Lines, that album from Blondie. Oh, Queen, they make their first entry at number 28 with The Game. And then they also make their next entry, which is number 17, with A Day at the Races. And uh, they also hold the number 16 spot, A Night at the Opera. 
from there on down, we have artists like the Eurythmics, Delight, the B-52s. Jorge Miguel comes in at number 18. Uh, that would be George Michael to the rest of you with Listen Without Prejudice. And he also makes number 15 with Faith. Now, these are the, uh, the top three. Tracy Chapman comes in at number three with Tracy Chapman. The Smiths at number two with The Smiths. Number one, the numero uno, most greatest and gayest album of all time. Drum roll, please. Right, hello, 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 mira, ya va, it's David Bowie and the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the spiders from Mars. I would have never guessed that that was the number one greatest and gayest album of all time. But again, what do I know about that community? This is their list. And by the way, who the hell am I to argue with out.com? <laughs> Pretty obviously nobody. They know. You want to argue with them? Knock yourself out. Plus now, you can't get in trouble if you say, oh, you know, this album is so gay. Well, sure. It's on the list of the 100 greatest and gayest albums of all time. Not only is it gay, it's also great. So take that, cancel culture. Right. It's the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Sound of the week. Uh, I hear that voice and the gong, and I truly miss my friend. I don't want to get too melancholic, so I'm going to go and uh, try to go through this sound of the week as best I can. This past Tuesday, uh, Simone Biles, world-class gymnast, withdrew from the Olympics. It was a pretty big shocker in the... Uh, the Olympic world made a headline news, and it went a little like this. A distraught Simone Biles pulled out of the Olympic team final last Tuesday, July the 27th, leaving in the middle of the competition after struggling to land a vault. After the performance that I did, I didn't want to go into any of my other events second-guessing myself, so I thought it was better if I took a step back and let these girls go out there and do the job. And they did just that, Bile said. She also said she's been trying to cope with the stress of competing at the Tokyo Olympics. I was still struggling with some things, Bile said of competing Tuesday night. Okay, so of course it's big uproar. Anyway, we later found out what was the cause of her exit was something called the twisties. Now, the twisties, according to the connoisseurs of the sport, are moments when uh, the athletes are in the middle of their performance. They're spinning in the air, executing all these complicated moves, and all of a sudden they lose track of where their body is at the moment while either at practice or in competition, thus risking uh, a land that would possibly... Uh, injure them by falling on their heads, back, shoulders, etc. It's obviously very serious, especially when an athlete can incur in a very dangerous injury. Like with everything else, I thought that the, uh, the twisties were like uh, when we had uh, like the stomach flu. You know, those horrible twists and turns our stomachs must endure while we're sitting on the porcelain throne in the bathroom. 
It's that horrible ordeal where you're asking God for mercy as you live through those moments of the twisties. So if Simone Biles' twisties were anything like that, we obviously sympathize with Simone. Now the question is, could they be the same thing? Luckily now, <laughs> our special events recording team was at her news conference when she announced that she was going to withdraw. They were able to capture a very special recording that you won't hear anywhere else. So how about we take a listen? Uh, kind of as this news conference progressed way too hard for that so i just decided that the, those girls need to go in and do the rest of it okay yeah we're gonna take it a day at a time i know tomorrow that we have um a half day or at least the morning off how um, so it'll how be nice to rest and so we'll sports take are very there. serious what's that yeah i say um put mental health first because if you don't, then you're not going to enjoy your sport and you're not going to succeed as much as you want to. So it's okay sometimes to even sit out the big competitions to focus on yourself because it shows how strong of a competitor and person that you really are rather than just battle through it. <laughs> the twisties! It was definitely something that was <laughs> Here comes our teammates. Um, we were kind of emotional when we found out that she wasn't going to continue and you know we all just had to put our minds in a great position because at the end of the day we were just out there to show what we needed to Unbelievable. and i'm just very proud that we were able to do that <laughs> america take note yeah, I'm really proud of everybody for really stepping up. I I'm mean, sure it's really you hard are. to lose <laughs> the best of the world. Oh. Simone may not have been the only one with the twisties. She just might have, have had the worst case. <laughs> but, uh, man, those were world-class themselves. Now, that's a team that sticks together. Through thick and thin. Ah, uh, I also think I read that uh, she may be coming back. So I, I guess, I guess we'll see. Anyway, get better, Simone. You know that's keeping uh keeping uh, your mental health in shape is probably it truly is probably the uh, the best thing you could always do is take care of this, take care of your mental health. It's very important. It's the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast. Sound of the week. Uh. Yes, it was, Mr. Adam. It absolutely was. I still hope that I am doing uh, some justice to your segment, the segment that my friend Adam Tate uh, created. Uh, last episode, our, our special events recording team was at uh, was in Afghanistan. Well, they get to travel all over the world. I, I wonder. I, I wonder. I wonder who's paying for all of that. <laughs> anyway, good times, bad times. It's time to start wrapping this shit up. Oh. Good times, bad times. And we're going to start it off really uh, quick with the bad times. We, I had lined up that uh, Lexi Fox had announced that uh, he was going to be leaving Steel Panther. And that was pretty bad times. But this week... Unfortunately, we all received the news that Mr. Dusty Hill of ZZ Top had passed away. That was kind of a big blow to the rock world, to rock fans, to us fans that have been able to see Mr. Dusty Hill and these uh, compadres of ZZ Top live and on stage. Yeah, I, I, I saw them last, I want to say, 2013 at a 
this fair that they held at Fort Bragg. Awesome as always. And uh, it's pretty sad. One of the uh, most regarded and uh, best bassists there is in the rock world. Uh, the creator of the Blue Shuffle in C, I believe, if I'm quoting that correctly. Uh, he had the ability to play the bass like a rhythm guitar alongside the lead of his, uh, his partner, Mr. Billy Gibbons. There was a lot of uh, news articles, a lot of outpouring even through uh, the mainstream media. Uh, on the death of Dusty, I could probably pick any one of them, but I received a secret communicado on my WhatsApp this week. Take a listen to it as I read it to you. And I quote, I'm saddened to learn of the passing of the bearded purveyor of bottom end basics, ZZ Top's Dusty Hill. His dedication to his bandmates and their legion of fans was apparent to the end as on his deathbed, he handed the baton in the form of a spinning belt attached bass guitar to his successor. Signed, Grimly Knoll. Hmm. Very cryptic. There's some key words in there, but I think I'm just hoping they're that of my friend, Mr. Adam Tate, who is still on hiatus and obviously does not want to give away his location nor his status. That's a little ray of hope within this uh, terrible news of the passing of one of our heroes, Mr. Dusty Hill. So to Joseph Michael Dusty Hill, we at the Tommy and Adam Hart today podcast hope the heavenly LaGrange is as good or better than you expected. Rest in peace with the rock gods. Okay, we're going to end this podcast with a really good note too. So these are the good times. One of the biggest metal bands on the planet. Yes, Iron Maiden have returned with an epic new single, The Writings on the Wall. And I think that pretty much speaks for itself. Not only is the song great, the music video is all in animation. And there's all kinds of different forms of Eddie. Uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. If uh, Grimly Knoll, wink, wink, would have been uh, here doing the, uh, the sound of the week, I'm sure you would have heard a little bit of it. But I don't want to ruin it for nobody. You could go out there, check it out for yourself, look it up, and listen and enjoy Iron Maiden's new tune. And that is how we will end all our content this week. Good times. Those were bad some good times. Yeah. Okay, not too bad. An hour and 40 something minutes. That's cool. I'm going to be heading out. It's Saturday. I will not be having a uh, podcast the following weekend. I'll probably be back the second week of August. And who knows? I may be back with Adam. I may be back with somebody else. I don't know. I may even be back with Grimly Knoll, if we could ever figure out who that is. As always, we want to thank our legion of listeners, our fans, and whoever else subjects themselves to this podcast. We really appreciate it. Keep in mind, life is not that serious. Again, search the keywords, the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast app, RSS Podcast, CastBox, and everywhere else. This podcast is on demand and streaming. Activate the notification icon to be notified when we're online and tell a friend or an enemy. 
in for my rock bro and the humblest guy that I know on the planet, Mr. Adam Tate. I am Tommy Martinez. Today is July the 31st of 2021, and you are listening to the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast. Remember to always play it often, play it loud, but play it! The Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast is produced by Dadakoa Promotions. Yeah, which are the Kansas. Dadakoa Promotion. Put too much hot sauce. Yeah. 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 Yeah.